Hi, this is Jessica McCoy with Calvary Christian Center. Thank you so much for listening. We pray that this message encourages and inspires you to be everything God has created you to be. We hope you enjoyed this message. Preaching today, I feel like preaching today. I want you to stay standing on your feet. I'm just going to read a couple of scriptures. I have a word for you. How about this worship team? Can y'all give it up for this incredible worship team and band? I felt like running. I said, my, my, he's doing it all again. See, that don't mean nothing if you don't need nothing. But for the people that need something, to hear that he can do it again, stirs your faith to believe on a level you ain't been able to believe before you walked in. Well, I want you to open up your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 15. We're going to read verses 15 through 17 and then creep on over to 2 Samuel 6. We're going to read verses 15 through 17 there. And then God's going to speak to us today. We've been in a series called God's House. What's the big deal? And how many believe God's house is a big deal? It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Being in God's house with God's people is still a big deal. The Bible says as much as you see the day approach. He said, don't forsake the assembling of yourself. Yeah, that only makes sense when you put together a Lego set or two. And you figure out that you can get the whole thing built and be missing one piece. When you come, you're the piece we need to be all we're supposed to. Well, that's a whole nother sermon, but not today. Look, just look at somebody say, assembly required. Mm. Acts chapter 15, uh, Pastor Rayleigh and Pastor Dawn, they're taking some time to rejuvenate and get rested and uh, go dream. And how many, are thank, how many thank God for the greatest pastor and first lady in the entire world? Come on, you can do just a little bit, just in case they're watching. Let's, let's let them know we love you. Thank God for you. We honor you. And uh, get some rest and get back safe. But I feel like God has something to say today. You ready for the word? Acts chapter 15, three verses, then creep over to 2 Samuel 6, three verses. This is what the Word of God would say. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. Second Samuel chapter 6, verses 15 through 17 says this. And so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David, there it is again, had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. I, I just dropped by to preach a little bit today to let some people that know that yes, God loves his house and that God's house is a big deal. But more importantly than God loving his house, please know in this room, I came by to project to tell you that God does have a favorite kind of house. So if I had to title my message today, I'd like to just, I'd like to just call it God's favorite house because God has a house. 
that he smiles on and he blesses and he moves in. It's his favorite kind of house. If you're ready to step in this anointing, just slip up your hands. Father, I thank you for what I feel. God, I know it's not about feeling, but I'm thankful you can be felt. Speak now, move now, Lord, and we'll give you praise for it all in Jesus' name. If you believe it, shout amen. God bless you as you're seated. Just look at somebody say, God's favorite house, God's favorite house, God's favorite house. In the world of theology, in the world of studying theology, especially systematic theology, most theologians will tell you that as you study theology, the theology can be divided into 10 main arenas. Yes, theology, systematic theology can be divided into 10 specific areas that can be composed of this thing we call total and complete theology. Theology like ecclesiology, which is the study of the church, homartiology, which is the study of sin, soteriology, which is the study of salvation, pneumatology, which is the study of the spirit. Come on, y'all. I know what I'm talking about eschatology, which is the study of end times, angelology, which is the study of angels. But at the apex of all theology in all 10 arenas, there is theology proper. Theology proper is the study indeed of the very character and the nature of God. For what is theology and what is knowledge and what is ecclesiology and pneumatology if we don't understand the God from which it came from? What good is any Christianity without knowing the Christ first? What good is any relationship by which you don't really have relationship with the person? What good is it to try to understand something you don't know? And that is what God is trying to communicate to the world we live in and believers alike is that before we ought to do for God, we ought to know the God we do for. Oh yes, because some of us get in trouble because we are trying to defend a God we don't know, share a God we don't know, evangelize a God we don't know, but God get us back to the place in the house of God that if we're going to say something for God and do something for God, we can do it with the assurance that we know the God that we serve and do for and do ministry for. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody who knows him ought to give him a little bit of praise right now just to say, I know you. I know him. I know him. I don't know about him. I haven't just heard about him. It's not a rumor with me. It's not what somebody else said he is. I know him. I know him for myself. I've encountered him. My mama's faith was great and my grandmama's faith was awesome, but I got my own faith and I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is who he says he is. Is there anybody that can testify for just a moment that you know for yourself, not because your daddy said or your mama said or somebody on your row said, but you know for yourself that God is who he says he is. You don't have to persuade me. I feel like preaching. You don't have to persuade me. You don't have to talk me into it. I've had some encounters that left me in a position to not only know that he's real, but to know that he is the kind of God who is for me and not against me. And if he is for me, what can be against me? I know him. I know him. I know him. If you want to boil theology proper down to something simple, simply understood, theology proper is the God is statements. God is omnipotent. God is omniscient. Watch this. God is light. God is light. There is no shadow of turning in our God. In other words, anytime darkness tries to get close to God, it has to back up the moment it gets near it because there can be no dark mixed with 
a God who is light. That's why you got to be hidden in God. That's why when you worship, you shouldn't worship lightly. You shouldn't worship any other way than radically. Why? Because the more you worship, you are immersing yourself in a God who is light. And every time darkness tries to find you, they won't be able to find you because you have immersed yourself in light. The kind of light that disease can't approach. Come on, somebody, talk to me. The kind of light that cancer backs away from. The kind of light that evil backs away from. The kind of light that demonic forces can't touch and can't come near. No generational curse can cross the light line. I know we talk about the bloodline, but there is a light line that cannot be crossed when you immerse yourself in God. God is light. God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is stable. Praise Pastor Josh. I said, aren't you thankful God is stable? Come on, you and your unstable self. Aren't you thankful that you have serve a kind of God that ain't like you? Oh, come on, somebody. The kind of God that ain't like you because you can be up one day, down the next. You can be angry. You can be in your emotions, get in your feelings. But aren't you thankful that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever? He is a stable God that can be trusted because anytime you find stability, you've also found trust. And that's why I trust him the way I trust him. And I don't cry and I don't fret and I don't worry and I don't have anxiety. Is because I know he can be trusted because he don't change. So I don't take my problems to people. I take my problems to God long before I take them to people because God's stable and God's not insecure and God doesn't have motive. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. He, he don't have a motive. His only motive is to get me to a place of prosperity, to get me to a place of blessing, to get me to a place of identity, to get me to a place of destiny. God's got the best in mind for you. God is light. God is, God is a spirit. God is stable. God is love. For all the ones I said, they're, they're profound and they're prolific and they're powerful, but, but I don't think anyone is more powerful than the fact that God is not trying to be love. He is not trying to figure out what love is. He just is love. That's why every time you connect to God, you're not just connecting with God, you are connecting to love. That means no matter what people do to you and what people say about you, y'all way too quiet. No matter what they did and what they happened in your past and who talked about you that week and who rejected you 20 years ago, all you got to do is run headlong into God. And if you can find God, you have found the love that is greater than any human love. You found a love that exceeds expectations, a love that's wild, a love that knows how to climb over what people did and work past what people said. Aren't you thankful for a love that doesn't that doesn't get stopped by what happened to you and what people said about you? Aren't you thankful for the kind of love that can make its way and tear down barriers and get to the root of who you are? Because at the truth of it all, God is love and God loves you. Oh, is there anybody thankful for the love of God in this room? Huh? Come on, is there anybody? Where would you be? What would you still be stuck in? What kind of mindset would you have? What kind of bondage would you be in if the love of God had not found you and broken you free? 
God's love is profound and prolific. It knows no bounds. It has no limits. It will find you. All you've got to do is call upon the name of the Lord. And here comes love. God is love. But his love is not an average love. His love is a so love. For God so loved the world. He didn't just love the world. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God has the kind of love that looks so far past everything you used to be and what you used to do that by the time the enemy comes to tell you a lie and to tell God about who you used to be, God just looks at it and says, so? Y'all miss that. Y'all miss that. You didn't hear what I said because some of y'all got a past and some of y'all ain't got a pretty come on y'all You've been through some things you got some things in your history that you're not proud of But aren't you thankful in this room that God looks past all that crazy stuff about who you used to be and what you used to do And when the devil tries to bring it back up so so, so they were a drug addict, so they were alcoholic, so they were abused, so they went through that, so, 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 because here's what I know, that you're, you are not what you did, you are not your issue, you are your position, because if you're a child of the living God, once a child, always a child, once a kid, always a kid of God, and if you're a child of God, somebody ought to make some noise to let every devil know, so, In fact, every devil that comes to bother you, you just got to look at him in the eye and say, I know you're lying. I know what you're saying. So some of y'all need to start squaring up with every demonic spirit that tries to attack you and just look it in the eye and say, so, oh, y'all ain't hearing me. So, so you're lying. So that's not who I am. It's not what I really do. I am a kid of the king. I am a child of the living God and let the redeemed of the Lord say oh I wish you would have heard what I just told you that's what you got to tell every devil and every demon that's coming after you today that the redeemed of the Lord says oh I feel like preaching in here God is love and God loves people to break down theology proper in the context of God is love is to know that God loves two things more than anything. Number one, God loves people. Oh, yes, he does. Yes, he does. God loves people. He loves people so much that he made you in his image. <laughs> in fact, the Bible teaches that he made everything else from the ground, but he made you from dust. Well, what's the difference between dust and ground? Dust is topsoil. Everything else had to be taken from the ground. But he said, you're the apex of my creation. You're the height of what I made. You're my topsoil. Y'all ain't saying nothing. You ain't, you ain't saying nothing. God says you're his topsoil. And God loves people. If you, look in your, if you look in your Bible, there are only two things that Jesus ever wept over. Number one was people. But number two, watch this. God loves people, but God also loves places. Because Jesus wept over people, Lazarus, and he wept over places, Jerusalem. <sighs> When's the last time you wept over somebody or somewhere? 
No, no, I know we come in here and I know we, we, we get our blessing. And we like to shout and we like to dance and we like to praise, but there ought to be some services where ain't nobody shouting and nobody dancing. All of us are laid out on the floor with our heads buried in the carpet because somebody in our family might not make it to heaven. Y'all are too quiet for me today. Somebody at your job might not go spend eternity with the Lord. Every once in a while, you prove your maturity by what you weep over. And there's got to be believers again who weep over the loss. We cry over people who don't know God. We cry over a region. God, whatever you do, don't let Daytona Beach, don't let Ormond Beach, don't let Palm Coast go without knowing. When's the last Last time you wept when's the last time you were so overcome at the thought of somebody not going to heaven that tears rolled down your cheeks because anytime we find Jesus weeping he is weeping over people and he is weeping over places ladies and gentlemen it is with that context and knowledge that I bring you into our text because God, the God who loves people and loves places, had one place that he loved more than all the rest. The Bible says in the book of Acts that God loved this place so much that he made it his intent that when he comes back, this will be the one place he rebuilds. He said, it's not Jerusalem. It's not Israel. It is the tabernacle of David. And it made me ask myself the question, of all the places you could choose to rebuild, why would you choose the tabernacle of David to be your favorite house and your favorite place? Until you realize there were three main structures in the Old Testament. I thought, God, why David's when there was Moses' tabernacle? You know Moses' tabernacle, the one in the wilderness, the, 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 the original recipe. There you go, woke you up there. The original recipe. Come on, y'all, we love the original recipe around here. Our, our pastor loves the original recipe around here. Uh, if some fry, KFC got it right with that original recipe. The Mosaic Tabernacle is the original recipe. It is the blueprint. It is perfection personified. God said, with, the, with Moses' tabernacle, I'm going to build it, but I'm going to build it based on perfection. Yet when he comes back and talks about his favorite place, he says, I will not rebuild it. Then there was Solomon's temple on the other side. Solomon's temple was the one they would have shown on cribs. <laughs> Extravagant, built wealthy. He had 22s on his chariots. He was rolling deep. Solomon's temple is built on beautiful, but God just says, I do, I will not rebuild on it. Yet God focuses his attention, hallelujah, on a little shepherd boy who doesn't have stature or preeminence, who has been rejected by his own brothers, cast out in a field with some sheep, but yet this little boy is out there blowing kisses and dancing and singing to his God. He has real relationship and real connection with a most holy God. And I thought about it. He said, I'm not building on Moses, even though it's built on perfection. I'm not building on Solomon, even though it's built on beautiful. I will build on David's because David's was built on broken. 
If you want to know where God always starts to build on your life, if you want to know where the construction process always begins in your life, it's called brokenness. Brokenness is the place that draws God because how in the world can his strength come lest you be weak? For his weakness is not drawn to your strength. His strength is not drawn to your weakness. It is drawn, it is drawn to the weakness that you have in your life. Watch this. God says, I see David, and I saw weakness, and I saw brokenness. He said, and it made me want to come close to him. See, sometimes God can't build because you're not humble enough to be built on. That's why God sometimes will pull the rug out from underneath of you. That's why sometimes God will come in your life. And all of a sudden, something crazy will happen. And you'll think, God, why did that happen? I don't understand what you're doing. I don't know why you're doing it. And God pulls the rug out. And you go, God, why did you do that? God says, because you were trying to live your life without me. And nobody knows how to build the life you need. Say God himself. God knows how to build your life, but God never starts building until he first sees broken. And when you decide you're going to be humble enough and broken enough, watch this. God's strength will come running to your weakness for where you are weak. He is strong. God says, I like David's tabernacle because it's built on broken, but there's another reason he loved it. Because there is a one main distinct difference between all three, all three, all three. The main difference between all three is that Solomon and Moses had the veil, but David's tabernacle did not have a veil. In other words, anytime David wanted to come into where God was, he didn't have to go through ritual. He could just come right into the very presence of the Lord. See, here's what, here's what God wants. God wants a no veil policy with you. God wants the kind of policy with you where it doesn't take you having to put up your, because it's true, you can put up your veils. Veils of insecurity, veils of inadequacy, veils that say, I'm not good enough, I don't deserve this, I shouldn't be able to come in, but can I tell you, as much as you love God encounters, God loves man encounters. And the truth of it all is God doesn't want a veil. He wants there to be no separation. In other words, God doesn't want parental rights. He wants full custody of his kids. And God did not set this thing up for you to be in him, you and him to be stuck between each other by a veil. God set it up so that you could come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy with God, that you could touch God and God could touch you. And if you touch God and God touches you, nothing is impossible. God can do it in your life. David's tabernacle was veilless. And God said, I've seen brokenness and I've seen veillessness. He said, and this is the building I want to build. This is the house that is my favorite. But ladies and gentlemen, 2 Samuel chapter 6 takes us into a moment of David's life, a moment of David's life where David forgot to value God's house. Because 2 Samuel chapter 6 brings us into a moment in Scripture where David, who has had a tabernacle, and he's had the ark, and he's had the presence, one day peeks past everything on the outside. And as he looks on the inside, he realizes he is missing the very thing he needs to become who he's called to be. Because let me tell you, 
about people who go far in God. They are good at self-evaluation. We spend a lot of time in the body of Christ evaluating everybody else. We spend a lot of time figuring everybody else's stuff out. But the people that go far in God are not those that figure other people out. It's the people who are committed to figuring themselves out. Because you can't improve on what you don't evaluate. You, you can't make better what you don't look at. And David said, something's wrong. Something's wrong. I'm not checking at the outward. I need to look deep down on the inside. I need to look on the inside and figure out. And when he peeks on the inside, he sees that something is wrong. When is the last time you evaluated why things were going wrong? Because Psalm 23 teaches us that God always brings us to self-evaluation places. He leadeth me beside still waters. No, no, no. Still waters aren't drinking waters. They're reflective waters. They're, they're the kind of waters God brings you to so that you can really see who you really are at this place in your life. Because some of us got some friends who are lying to us about who we are. Some of us got some people around us that are telling us what we want to hear and not what we need to hear. And in doing so, they're keeping us depressed and keeping us anxious and keeping us out of, out of God's will and out of God's plan. You got to get some people around you that know how to lead you beside still waters, that can tell you the truth about you. Don't do that. Don't date him. Don't go there. Don't have that. Because if you can get still waters, he will, he will restore your soul. He said, I've got to self-evaluate. As I'm self-evaluating, he looks in one day, realizes, watch this, that he has the form of the tabernacle, but he doesn't have the presence. The very thing he needed had gone out from among him, and he didn't even know it. Because it is possible to go to church and never meet with God. It's possible to be here this morning and never connect with him. David looked in and said, I'm missing what I need. Because the truth is, some of us have the form. We don't have the power. We are living life with the form of godliness, but we don't have enough power to do anything God wants us to do. And if you want to know if you got the power, then you got to take the signs test. You know, these signs will follow them that believe. Because if you're a real believer, there ought to be some stuff following you. Oh, hallelujah. I said, if you're a real believer, you don't see if you're a real believer, you don't need a title. You don't need the people to call you this or that. Because if you're a believer, that's all you had to be is a believer. And because you're a believer, there should be some miracles, some signs, and some wonders trailing your life. You ought to be able to go up in the hospital and lay your hands on the sick and see them recover. You ought to be able to go up in your work and give somebody a word of knowledge that alters their entire future. There ought to be some stuff following you. The, the problem in this church world is we chase signs instead of signs chasing us. We spend more time chasing preachers and evangelists 
and sowing seed where seed ain't gonna go. When God, when God's ideal was never that you would chase it, that it would chase you. That everywhere you went, there would be a residue of God's glory and God's power to the nth degree. That just by being around you, their life would be changed for the better forever. If you believe it, somebody ought to give him praise for the. Everywhere you walk, something ought to be moving. Everywhere you go, people ought to know you're a believer. They ought to spend just about five seconds with you and say something's different about you. I felt one way before you showed up, but since you showed up, I feel peace that passes all understanding. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. There should be something. And by the way, there should be, there's a marked difference between church methodology conferences for growth and then God's church growth program. Let me tell you God's church growth program. Are you ready? I'll save all y'all a lot of money on trying to figure out how we're going to grow a church. Here we go. You ready? Let a blinded eye come open. Let, let, let one person get out of a wheelchair. If we raise somebody from the dead, at Calvary Christian Center, we won't have to market our church. The sign will market the fact that God is in the place doing extraordinary and awesome things. And let me tell you, God wants to do it here, but he also wants to do it out there through you. Where are the believers that say, I got something from another world? I feel like preaching this thing, y'all. I feel like preaching this thing because let me tell you, real faith and real love aren't real faith and real love if they're only declared. Just because you say it, that is not the apex of a thing. A said thing is not the apex. Let me show you what I mean. I, I, my beautiful wife is on the front row. And before, uh, before we got married, I would say things like this. I say, I love you. I call her up and we would just breathe on the phone. <sighs> you still there? Yeah. I love you. But, but let me just say this. The said I love you tends to carry less weight over time because it's not saying I love you that makes love love it's showing you that I love you that makes love love it's not saying you have faith that makes faith faith it's showing you have faith that makes faith faith because faith without works is dead. That's why you got to get to the place where you're not the kind of believer that just says you believe it and says you think it's true. You got to get to the place where you demonstrate the fact that I believe that every part of God's word is true, that power is real, miracles, signs, and wonders are real. I believe it's for me and for today. And David said, I got to go get it. I love David because he didn't sit down and say, well, since I didn't have it, I guess I'll never have it because complacency creates decay. Some of y'all treat God like a genie and a magician. And you think just if you sit here long enough, God's going to dump some stuff and give you some stuff that you need. The devil is a liar. Every once in a while, you got to make up your mind. I don't have it, 
but I'm going to go get it. Oh, hallelujah. Do you know what the devil gets real afraid of sometimes? Are the people in this room that have the kind of tenacity that say, I lost it, but I ain't going to stay losing it. I'm going to go get everything that belongs to me, everything God promised me. I'm going to go get it. I don't care if you like me. I don't care if you say I'm too radical, but God already said it belongs to me, and I got to go get my stuff. Just look at somebody and say, go get it. Go get it. Go get it. Go get it. Go get your healing. Go get deliverance. Go get your family right. Go get it. Go get your kids. Go get it. Go get your marriage. Go get it. Go get it. Go get it. Go get it. Don't you dare back up. Don't you dare retreat. Don't you dare walk away. Make up your mind. I may have lost it. But I'm going to go get it. Not by might. Not by power. But by the spirit of the living God, it's... David said, I got to go get what I've lost. And I am not mad that David went to get it. I am mad at how he went to get it. Because the Bible says, David said, give me some oxen and a new cart. And this is the new move of God in my life. Oxen in the Bible represent strength, wealth, and power. Because for what we lack in prayer and in anointing and sacrifice and commitment, we try to make up for with our own strength, wealth, and power. Then there was the new cart. And we all know, we all know the new cart is the thing that tries to make God look better. It's what you build around God to try to make God look good. But the last time I checked, God didn't need your help to look good. God looks good all by himself. And we all know who the new card is for anyway. It ain't for unsaved people. It's for church folk. Because if they wanted a show, they'd go to Disneyland. If they wanted a show, they'd go to Vegas. But how many know some people have the kind of needs where they don't need a show, and they don't need lights, and they don't need charisma, where they don't need a smoke show. What they need is the real and true presence of God. And that's why God's house is a big deal. Because when God shows up the way God shows up, God will always be enough. He will always be enough for whatever comes through those doors. And all of a sudden, David says, doesn't this look good? I got God on a new cart being pulled by strength, wealth, and power. And it's all good, and God works with it. I'm finishing. God works with it. It's all fine. It works in a season. Because that'll work in your life for a season. Until they got to Nacon's threshing floor. Nacon's threshing floor, threshing floors in general, are powerful places. Because they are thresholds and places of separation from a former level to another. And God will let you mishandle him until you get to the next level. And God will let you mishandle him for a season. But trust, if you're trying to go to the next level, God will handle you before you mishandle him. 
I know this is old school preaching and they're supposed to be just saying, bless me, bless me. But let me tell you, God loves you enough sometimes to make sure he breaks your system down and breaks your way of doing things down just because he loves you enough not to let you mess up where you're about to go. And when you see things start to break and when you see things start to shake, please know that is the sign that God said, I'd rather break you down before you cross this threshold into another level. And when things start breaking down, don't blame God. God, praise God because if it's breaking it was meant to be broken let everything that can be shaken be shaken and I promise you everything that remains will always be enough they came to the threshing floor I feel like preaching they came to the threshing floor and all of a sudden the oxen's wee the knees got weak and the cart began to shake and the ark began to fall and all of a sudden a character emerges Uzzah comes out of the shadows and he puts his hands on the ark and God kills him wait a second if you a new believer that's scary right there you mean he touched God and died yeah I thought to myself, God, why would you kill him? I mean, all he was trying to do was help. But what if I told you this incident was not Uzzah helping, it was actually Uzzah hindering. Because God was trying to revolutionize, but Uzzah was trying to stabilize. And anytime you try to stabilize a place in your life, that God is trying to revolutionize in your life. God will handle that part of your life by there being less of you and more of him. Uzzah had to die because if Uzzah stabilizes that thing for too long, then God can't get that thing to where it needs to be at the time it was supposed to be there. And I came to tell somebody, it's time for you to take your hands off that situation. Take your hands off that little problem and that little issue and understand that if it's fallen apart and you're in God, then it's fallen apart for all the right reasons. And God knows what he's doing in your life. Just look at somebody say, take your hands off of it. Get your hands off of it. You've been too in 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 it. God is about to do it. Let me finish this. And all of a sudden, David doesn't know what to do. Because he thought he was doing the right thing. Watch this. He was 100% well-intentioned and still 100% disobedient. And David said, I've got a choice to make. Either I retreat to the condition I was in, or I listen and obey into my next level. And some of us in this room, anytime God shakes something, we retreat. This sermon is taking a completely different turn than the one I just preached in the first service because I feel like I need to tell somebody you can't retreat. 
I feel like somebody in the room has been going through some stuff and it's been falling apart and for all your fixing it keeps breaking for all your fixing it keeps falling apart and you're going God I don't know what to do I guess I was never meant to have it I guess I was never meant to walk in it and I'll just retreat to a life without it but I hear the Lord saying I am not the God who called you to retreat but I am the God of second chances I am the God that even though you messed it up and even though you made wrong decisions and you didn't do it the way you were supposed to I am the God that even when I see you mishandle it I will give you a second chance I wonder if there's anybody in this room that could just thank God for a second for second chances thank you for every time in your life you messed up what he wanted for you you made the wrong choice but still he gave you a second chance if you want to know why I'm praising him sometimes and why I'm crying sometimes it's just because I go back to what I messed up and I realize he didn't give up and David says God if you'll give me a second chance you know what I realized about second chance people they praise different second chance people don't care what other people think about Second chance people don't care if their shirt comes untucked. They don't care if their mascara smears. All they know is they shouldn't even be here right now. But because of a second chance, because of a second chance, I'll give you everything that belongs to you. Whatever you ask of me, whatever you want from me, it belongs to you. I don't care what you say about me. I know I shouldn't even be here right now. My mistakes should have cost me, but he still counted me in. I worship you, Jesus. Come on, somebody worship, somebody worship, somebody worship. Oh. See, there's a praise that comes out of second chance people that can't be explained. It can't really even be understood. There's a praise that comes out of people who know they should be dead and they should still be addicted and they should be messed up. But nevertheless, God saw past all of your mistakes and gave you a second chance. That's why I give him the glory he deserves. And David said, God, if you're going to give me a second chance, shoot, huh, I'm going to do it your way. So bring me the priest. Because God's glory was never meant to set on a cart. It was supposed to be carried by men. By men and by women. Let me tell you something. This is why I love this church. Because whether you're black or whether you're white, whether you're Hispanic, whether you're young, or whether you're a saint of God, there is room up under the ark for all of us. There is room for us to carry what God has called us to carry, to get to where he's called us to be. There's room. That's what makes church a big deal is when we come in this room all together and we get up under this thing and we say, I don't care who you are and where you've been and you don't care who I am and where I've been, but we are both called to carry this thing for the glory of the Lord. Because a real move of God will cost you something. 
People ask me all the time, Pastor Josh, what does it cost you to be so young and stand on some of the stages you stood on? Let me tell you what it cost me. Everything. It will cost you the popularity of men. It will cost you what people think about you and your own will and your desires. But nevertheless, when you see God moving and you know you're carrying what God is doing, it's worth the stress and it's worth the struggle and it's worth the sweat when one person gets saved and one child comes to know Jesus and one person in your family. The weight is worth it. so they carried it but along the way every six steps they killed something an oxen because the second thing about a move of God is it will always require sacrifice let me tell you what makes God's house great is that oftentimes nobody may know it but many of us make big sacrifices to do the work of the Lord but if you think you're gonna sacrifice for God and God not see your sacrifice and not know what, you, what it took just to walk through the doors today and how much you cried last night, please know he sees. And now I know why David danced when he got it. Now I know why he shouted when he got back to Jerusalem. Now I know why he praised like he praised. Because if you carried it that long, oh hallelujah, and you got it to where it was supposed to go, you would shout to, dance to, run to. That's why I never judge anybody's worship because I know somewhere along the way they carried it for a long time and that's why they're rejoicing like they're rejoicing because they made it to where God said they would have been all along. That's why you can't judge nobody. Don't judge them, join them. I preached all that to get here. I'm done. David got what he was missing back to where it was supposed to be. And David says, I never want to lose him again. Whew. I never want to mishandle him again. I don't want there to be another day a visitation in my life. I am crossing over in my mind from visitation to habitation. Because visitation is when he comes and leaves. But habitation is when he comes and stays. That's the kind of life I want to live. That's the kind of tabernacle that he wants to rebuild. Not one where he comes and goes and comes and goes, but the kind where he comes and he changes his address to your life and this house and this building. That's why it's a big deal because we all carry a living, breathing, moving God on the inside. As I close, I close with this. David said, I don't ever want him to depart and I was watching a show on TLC learning channel y'all it's called my 600 pound life never watched that show before caught my attention 
because they were, they were interviewing a 600-pound man about his social life. They were talking to him about how he interacts with people. And he says, watch this. He said, you know what? He said, I have friends. He said, I will go visit them. He said, but please know, as soon as I make my way in the front door, I will scan their house for a seat that can hold my weight. He said, because I am tired of embarrassing myself by breaking their furniture. I'm tired of coming in and wanting to stay a long time, but I can't stay a long time because there's nowhere that can hold my weight. And as soon as he said that, the Holy Spirit grabbed me and said, you do know I'm overweight. Because if you study the Hebrew, the real glory of God is called the kabod of God. And the kabod of God literally means heavy, weighty presence of God. And the Lord said, do you not know, Josh, all across America, every Sunday, I walk into the house and the first thing I do is I scan the place for a piece of furniture that can hold my weight. He said, I'm, because I'm tired of being embarrassed when I come in and I break the order of your service and you weren't prepared for me. I'm tired of coming in with who I really am and you not having a place prepared for me to sit down and stay. And please know, Josh, tell the people that when I can't find a place that holds my weight, I simply cannot stay. And while that's true for the house of God, it's true for your life. God makes entrance and he's looking for a place. I feel him right now in the room. I feel him looking. I feel him looking. I feel him looking for a place. He's looking for, he's walking down aisles right now. He's looking for a place. He's looking for somebody, somebody. If he can find somebody somewhere in this room that says, God, I'll build a seat. I'll build a seat. I'll build a seat. Well, what seat do you need to build, God? Let me tell you, there's only one seat in the Old Testament, in the original recipe. Moses understood that if you wanted to get God to stay and walk with you, you had to build him a mercy seat. And if you build him a mercy seat on the cherub between radical worship and radical praise, he would come right in the middle of a lyric he would come right in the middle of a song and he would come sit right between worshipers and say that's what I like that's what I like that's what I, he would hear the intercession of the people and God said when I see it when I see it he said I'll sit down and I'll stay real soft I'll stay so the objective is I feel the glory of the Lord in this room. Slip up your hands. God says, I am attracted to broken. I am pulled when I see no veil. But I only stay and it only becomes my favorite house when I see a place for my weight to reside. So the object to make your house and this house God's favorite house 
is to be the kind of worshiper and the kind of praiser that just don't bring them in but we provide a seat for the glory of the Lord to manifest because when the glory of the Lord manifests uh, cancer cannot stay when the glory of the Lord is here marriages are restored and people get saved uh, God moves when he sits oh did you hear me I said God moves when he sits slip up your hands everybody I feel the anointing I feel the anointing come on just begin to open up your mouth all across this room stand to your feet everybody just begin to worship I'm telling you there is an anointing in this room there is a glory in this room there is a power in this room there is somebody in this room right now right now right now right now you're becoming God's favorite house you're becoming God's favorite house with your worship and with your praise you're becoming God's favorite house I know it's old school I see you. I see you. that's what it looks like that's what it looks like yes 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 I wonder if there's anybody else that would get out of your seat in this room and come to this front and just come with with your hands lifted and saying God I'll be I'll be your favorite house I'll be your favorite house come 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 lift it up 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 open up your mouth in this room I feel the glory of the Lord come on come with your hands lifted I'm God's favorite house Slip up your hands. Huh? You're building the mercy seat. There's just one thing I'm going to do because I sense it so strong. But there have been people in this room that have been walking through tough situations. You've been walking through frustrating seasons of your life. You've been going through some tough things in your family and with your kids. And there is an anointing in this room. There is ministry in this room. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, there are people laid out all across this front. If you need a touch from God in your life, in your body, you need ministry in this room, I want you to get out of your seat and get to this altar on the count of three. Come on, if you need a touch, God told me there are people who are frustrated. You're frustrated on the count of three. Come, one, hallelujah, two, three. Get to this altar, get to this altar, get to this altar. If you need a touch from God in your life, uh, if you need a touch... Hurry, 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 hurry. Hurry. Come on, don't you wait. I promise we're going to dismiss in a minute. But there is an anointing in this room. There is a glory in this room. There is a power in this room. God is trying to sit down in your life. He's trying to sit down in your situation. you got to create a seat. I just heard the Lord say, if they'll make a seat, I'll sit in it. I'll sit in it. If you give him permission to sit down in that situation, God's going to move in your situation. 
Now everybody at this altar, look up at me because I'm going to pray for as many people as I can and then we're going to dismiss you. Look up here at me. I thought David's tabernacle was a building, a real building. And some scholars believe it will be actually rebuilt. However, the revelation is deeper because you realize that God gave us a form and then they gave us his presence when he put his son not around us or on us but in us and Jewish tradition teaches that the only way David knew that he kept the presence was because of the blue flame of God's glory that every night he would peek out and he would see the flickering of the blue flame of God's glory and when he saw the blue flame he knew that the presence was still there and I thought about where we're heading in history we have moved past the dispensation of the Father. The Son has ascended and is seated at the right hand. But then I thought about Acts chapter 2. And they're set on each of them. Cloven tongues of fire. Meaning that David's tabernacle is not just an actual building. It's you and it's me. We are the tabernacle of David that he is rebuilding for his glory. So you need a touch from God. Get ready. The blue flame is about to touch your life. Slip up your hands right now all across this room. Pastor John, you're going to start singing and I'm going to start praying for as many people as I can. And I'm telling you, there is an anointing in this room to touch every need, to burn out every disease, to burn off every curse in the name of Jesus. Are you ready? Come on a little bit higher. Slip them up a little bit higher. A little higher. Here comes... Hi, this is Jessica McCoy with Calvary Christian Center. Thank you so much for listening. We pray that this message encourages and inspires you to be everything God has created you to be. We hope you enjoyed this message.